Hey everyone, I'm Brent Squires. And I'm Lauren Jubeau, telling stories of the famous and not so famous youth workers, the ideas they had, the ministries they built, and the bumps in the road along the way. You're listening to How'd They Do That. Welcome to episode number nine of How'd They Do That podcast. Brent and I are super excited about this podcast, and we've been talking to youth workers all around the country who are doing awesome things, and we're excited to share those interviews with you. On today's episode, we're interviewing Nancy Beach. Nancy is the former program director at Willow Creek Community Church. She is perhaps best known for utilizing the arts in worship gatherings within the local church. She's an author, a coach, an artist, and a speaker. So we sat down with Nancy to ask how they do that. But first, let's do our youth ministry shout out. Every episode, we will do a youth ministry shout out highlighting youth workers around the country who are doing awesome things. And today's shout out goes to Carl Romas. Carl is the student ministry director at Bayside Church in Northern California. As a 16-year veteran of student ministry, he oversees aspects of the children's ministry, middle school, high school, and college across all seven of Bayside's campuses. Way to go, Carl. All right. Welcome to the podcast, Nancy. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing really good considering what it looks like in Chicago today. There's been... What does that look like? uh, Over 10 inches of snow last night and... Fierce oh and I can't get out of my house because I don't know how to use the snowblower and my husband's out of town. So I'm hunkering down with my dog and I'm very happy to talk to you today to have someone to talk to. <laughs> Excellent. So plenty of time for a podcast interview. That's there right. You, yep. you have nowhere else to go. That's right. Well, great. For everyone who's listening, um, can you tell us a little bit more about your background, where you're from, where you went to school, a little bit about your family? Sure. Uh, I grew up in the Chicago area, the suburbs, very close to O'Hare Airport, um, in a family of four children. And my family attended a really good little church. It was about three blocks from our home, uh, a non-denominational church that had a great influence on my life. And when I was seven uh, at that church, I went to Daily Vacation Bible School, which some people may be familiar with. And, Classic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I learned uh, one day from my teacher that uh, Jesus wanted to be my friend and my savior and the leader of my life. And on my way home, I had ridden my bicycle with my best friend, Janet. And on the way home, halfway home, I um, I called out to her and I said, Janet, hold up. And she stopped her bike and probably thought something was wrong with my bicycle or something. And she said, what? And I said, do you want to do it? And she said, what? And I said, you know, that thing where we asked Jesus to be in our lives. And she said, <laughs> okay. So we prayed by this tree and, um, oh, wow. I, of course told my parents and they were thrilled. But 30 years later, I went back to that neighborhood and parked my car and just took a walk and between the, the old house we lived in and the church. And, and I, of course, have no idea what tree it was, but I just really reflected <laughs> on how profound that moment was, how it really changed wow. everything. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a really good story. Um, do you have any kids? Grandkids? I do. I have no grandkids yet, but I have two daughters. One just got married in August. And, uh, oh, congrats. She, yeah, thanks. She lives down in Austin, Texas with her new husband who is uh, in grad school. And my other daughter is 25 and lives here in the Chicago area. Well, that is awesome. It's uh, great again to have you on the podcast. And so uh, what we'd like to hear a little bit about is where did this passion 
for the arts come from and what prompted you to kind of unleash that as part of church worship? And you can kind of maybe give us a little bit of that background and kind of dig into that for us. Well, the youth group, uh, when I got to high school in that same little non-denominational church was a typical, boring, honestly, um, small little church youth group. And then we got a couple of new leaders. And I remember when they showed up and these young guys who, you know, at the time I thought they were so old, but they were like five years older than me probably. But um, they were uh, casting a vision for something very different from the kind of relationship that most of us had with God at that time. And we were studying the Bible together. And, and one of the things I love about student ministry is that when you're at that age, um, you tend to have a more childlike approach to scripture and you actually believe it like it, like it might be true, you know? <laughs> so this little group of kids, um, got captivated first by the love of Jesus. And then secondly, became very concerned about our friends at school who were far from God. And, uh, yeah. we decided to create an experience for them that we, we keep them in mind as opposed to ourselves. Um, so we created this experience. This is very seventies. It was called sun city. And, uh, we invited our friends and I invited a lot of my friends and this little group that was maybe 30 kids to start off with by the time I was a senior in high school had exploded to about, uh, 1200 kids coming every oh week, my gosh. more than the, than the adult population of the church. So within that, we were discovering, we didn't know all the terms for all this, but we started to discover this thing called spiritual gifts and, you know, special uh, ways in which God's enabled us to serve. And I sure. loved the arts from when I was a little kid um, in my neighborhood, we would do all kinds of productions. And, and so I went to the leader of this youth mystery and I said, you know, I would love to create some drama scenes for like, before you talk. And he had no idea what I was talking about. I really didn't either. I was just making it up. But we decided to try to create um, some pieces that could be used in this uh, event that we were doing every week. And then we combined with uh, audio visuals and with music and um, dance and painting and all different kinds of arts. And I that would have been so cutting edge. It I was mean, at the time. Yeah, country. it was at the time. And that youth group, um, when I graduated from high school, that was the youth group that gave birth to the church that I was then involved with um, for the next three decades or so, which was Willow Creek, um, further out in the suburbs. And uh, I went to college and I didn't join the staff right away. But when I did, um, that's when I started leading. It was, I don't really like the title, but we called it programming director at the time. Mm -hmm. um, but it today would be called a creative arts director or worship pastor, that type of thing. That's what I did there. So love the arts, love artists. Um, I used to get teased though by my team a little bit, like, you know, what art do you exactly do? You know, because I'm, <laughs> I, I'm not a painter. The art of leadership. Exactly. <laughs> I think leading artists is an art in and of itself. And I love ideas. I love brainstorming. I love facilitating brainstorming and I love encouraging artists. And that's where it all starts anyway, right? Yes, yes. With the brainstorming and the creative concept. Ideation is good there. Yeah, yes. There you go. Awesome. Well, so Willow Creek birth, um, was birthed out of this youth group, and you obviously played a significant part in helping to shape those gatherings with your drama, your music, multimedia, kind of a little bit of everything, like you said. Can you talk about how the arts were utilized then and how the arts might be applied now within student ministry? 
Yes. Um, when we started the church, everybody was super young. Um, that caused a lot of problems, actually, eventually, because we had no wisdom figures um, early on, and we made a lot of mistakes. But uh, we started in a movie theater, which was actually kind of perfect for, you know, it's yeah. almost like a black box, like people love for theater. And it had this- yeah, Nowadays, that would be the preferred thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we were one of the first churches I knew of anyway that was doing that. Um, of course, ironically, the movie that was playing that was up on the marquee, the first Sunday people showed up because that's when you only had one movie at a time at a place um, was everything you wanted to know about sex, but were afraid to ask. So that was <laughs> that probably helped bring. In oh, yeah, I think so. Um, but <laughs> we had this huge screen, obviously. And so we had some guys who were in the early parts of experimenting. This is kind of before you made original videos, but they, they called it multimedia and uh, use the screen in very creative ways. We had a great band um, and we had these drama scenes every week. And so uh, we were um, trying to build each experience each Sunday morning around a theme. And so whatever the teaching was gonna be, we believed that the arts kind of opened the door to that. The arts aren't good mm -hmm. at preaching. The arts are good at setting up the conflict or the tension or the, um, the idea of something. It, it's a way to connect with people's humanity. It's a way to relate to where people are when they're coming in. And so I wouldn't describe it. And this is what's very different about like what church is like today um, as a worship experience. Um, even though we might sing a song together or something, it was definitely more presentational. Um, but it was aimed at, I think what the arts can do as one of my friends described it is, um, you know, teaching kind of hits you square in the face. The arts sneak around behind you and, uh, you know, move you in certain ways, um, almost w without you realizing what's happening. And uh, that's why I love the arts so much. I believe that they have the ability, um, to, to have moments for people. Um, so were you guys like getting together and like, uh, finding out like what is going to be preached on or taught uh, a week or two in advance and then organizing yourself yes. around that and planning out like, yes, yes. We were all volunteers the first year. Um, and we were meeting at a coffee shop. Um, and you're, you're still in high school at this point. No, I'm, I'm, um, in, by the time I joined this team, I was uh, in college locally. Okay. But that's still young. Yeah, very young. And so we were having, uh, okay, I don't recommend this, but we were meeting on a Monday morning. Um, and often it was like the first time that we were talking about the very next Sunday that's coming up. We were not like <laughs> way ahead or anything. And we were sort of uh, first, we didn't call it this, but we were sort of first evaluating or celebrating or talking through what we learned the previous day, which I think is hugely important. And sure. then uh, moving ahead to saying, okay, what's next, you know, and, um, you know, a lot of what we did was really bad. I mean, as I look back in terms of the quality, um, we ma made every effort to do a great job. But what we didn't understand at the time was that you don't have to do every art form every week. And you probably shouldn't if you're going to try to do it well, you know, so I always used to say the only thing worse than no drama is bad drama. And we had our share uh, of bad drama. But yes, we met and we became very close as a team. And we knew what the subject matter was going to be for the teaching. And we really tried to create a journey for people, like an organic experience that would start mm -hmm. from the time you came to when you ended and all sort of hang together. Did any of your multimedia involve an overhead projector at any point? <laughs> no, we were one <laughs> step ahead of that. We never had an overhead projector. We did. 
Because there was no PowerPoint or video no, projectors. Right. No, it was all that, slides so. <laughs> and it was programmed. There were computers that would allow you to program to music um, these slides. So it was called multimedia, um, but it was not sure. PowerPoint. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So um, many times in ministry, only the product gets focused on. So like what you're seeing on stage or kind of the end result of what whatever the production team is like focusing on. Um, but in your book, An Hour on Sunday, which I've read, and it's a, it's a great a great inspirational book for anyone in in ministry, and, and it implies uh, applies incredibly to student ministry in terms of production. I think, uh, but you emphasize in the book that it's not just about the product; it's about the process. So I'm going to quote you to you, okay? Uh, and uh, then I'll let you comment on this. So you state in the book, uh, you could probably even tell me the page number, but I won't <laughs> ask you. Uh, so you say this at the end of the day, I believe that process matters just as much as, uh, to our Lord, as the product does, we'll be held accountable for more than what takes place in front of our services. The entire process is ministry from lunches with volunteers, brainstorming meetings and rehearsals all the way through the, to evaluation. If someone were to pull away the curtain, like Toto did in the wizard of Oz, could we be just as confident that our process honors God? So can you unpack that a little bit more for us? Like there's a lot in that statement. Yeah, I, I really still believe it every bit as much as when I when I wrote that because uh, ministry, I, I think we really do have to pull way back and say, ultimately, what are we trying to do? Um, the church that I'm a part of now uh, called Soul City Church, downtown Chicago, um, has as its mission statement that we are seeking to lead people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. And if that is our overarching goal, um, however you may say it at any given church, um, that means that what happens on Sunday morning is just sort of like the icing on the cake for what an entire uh, week-long experience is with people. And we're trying to help form Christ in all of us, um, both the leaders as well as all the volunteers, the people who are involved. So I cared mm -hmm. every bit as much about whether the artists themselves and the technical team, who I believe are artists as well, whether those folks were um, feeling a sense of vision, whether they were feeling like their own growth um, was being challenged and triggered by this experience, um, that we were building a community, which is so important to me. And that means it gets messy. And that means that we're going to hurt each other sometimes. And we're going to have to say, I'm sorry. And we're going to have to work it out. Um, we're going to have to find ways to specifically encourage each other because ministry can feel so discouraging at times. And so all of that is ministry. And uh, I, I really uh, get concerned when sometimes people can have rehearsals, for example, right before they're going to open the doors to their event um, or their Sunday morning or mm -hmm. whatever. And there's like full tension in the place, you know, like everybody's on edge and, and um, maybe, uh, you know, the tech team's frustrated and the people up front are fr frustrated, whatever. And then we open the doors and we kind of put a smile on our face and act like uh, everything's fine and talk about God's sure. love. And I think that that, that is, is hypocritical, obviously, um, but we need to learn how to look at the whole thing as ministry. Yeah. So what is it about uh, honoring God? through the process that's so critical? Well, it, you know, Jesus, discipleship? yeah, because Jesus said that the, the way people would most know that we are his children and most be drawn to him would be by our love for each other. 
And so I tell churches all the time, I'm, I coach a lot of church leaders these days, and I'm, I'm always saying, you know, there's a lot of things you can miss on. Um, you can uh, technically get some things off. You can, maybe your strategy isn't as refined as it should be. Um, maybe, uh, you know, your facility isn't great, you know, whatever. You could, th- there's a lot of ways mm-hmm. you, can, you can miss, but they don't matter nearly as much as focusing on what are the relationships here. And is there love being communicated among us? People are really intuitive. So people who attend your youth ministry or your church event or whatever, um, they can tell if the people up front care about each other, value each other, respect each other. Um, they, they can smell that. And they either want some of that themselves and they, they, it taps into their own longing for loving relationships or they, they get the closer they get in some churches the more they are like, oh, I'm out of here. You know, this is not, this is not good. And my goal always, and we didn't always achieve it, but my hope was that the closer people would get to the very center of the leadership team and the core of who was, who was preparing these experiences, the closer they would get, the more they would sense the love of Christ, not the other way around. Yeah. So then we talked earlier about like you joked and said, what was the art that you brought to the table? And we said that it was really the art of leadership. And that that sounds like what you're saying is that whether it's a paid staff person that is the program director or coordinator or a volunteer team, it sounds like because these teams involve people, and it's it's not just about cranking out another production. It's really about leadership, uh, godly leadership, and discipleship. Absolutely, and you know it. It's interesting because the leader, if they're paying attention and are self aware, are going to grow more than anybody else. Um, and so, sure. you know, for me, I believe that my character was forged in the thick of all of this. You know, in the muck of it, yeah. in the hard parts, as well as the times that we celebrate. And times where I had to say I'm sorry, and times where um, I learned my shadow side, and you know what could get in the way of me really fully expressing who God made me to be. So it's it's wonderful because it's an adventure where if you are willing to jump in with both feet, and you're willing to say, God, I hold loosely the gifts that you gave me. I didn't I didn't ask for these gifts. I didn't earn them, or I really don't deserve them. You just First Corinthians tells us that the Holy Spirit distributes the gifts just as he desired. I love mm-hmm. that phrase. So we, we, we didn't get to really choose, but whatever we've been entrusted with, uh, we can show up and play our part in this um, magnificent thing called the kingdom. And, and it's such an honor. Um, there are days, uh, I love community, but there are days where it would get frustrating. I remember walking to my car a couple of times and thinking, community community i don't i don't want any of this you know it would be it's so messy. much easier to it work alone messy. it's very messy and yet i think that's how we grow the gatherings were probably typically uh perfect until the people came in exactly right? my husband <laughs> my husband's an independent finance guy and he works from home and i would come home and just be venting and saying it's such a frustrating meeting today or whatever and he would say that's why i work alone and I often say that, you know, ministry would be very easy if it weren't for people. But what I exactly. learned over time, and one of my definitions actually of ministry is that ministry is a series of difficult conversations. And it, that's pretty sobering and somewhat depressing, actually. But I think it's very true. Um, I, I think that because we're all sinners, me included, 
um, it does get messy. And there are so many times we have to say ouch to each other and learn how to have those crucial conversations so that we can work it out and create the most radiant and beautiful body of Christ possible. Yeah, and people, I think, uh, I've been in church for over 20 years in ministry, and uh, I get the sense that people in the in the seats look up on the stage, and they tend to think that if you're holding a microphone or you're up on stage, you are the most spiritual person in the mm-hmm. room, or you've got it all together. And uh, that's not necessarily true, because whoever's up on the stage, just because they're holding the microphone, doesn't mean that they're not broken, and they're not hurting, and certainly doesn't mean that they're not sinful. So Right, um, and if we're not careful... Um, We tap into this sort of celebrity culture that is so easy to create Mm -hmm. with worship leaders, with, um, you know, speakers, with whatever. And and uh, it's it's like this cycle where those folks, if they start to feel like they're treated differently um, and held up on some kind of pedestal, unfortunately, it can lead to a sense of entitlement. It can lead to a a sense of, I am the exception, you know, and, uh, instead of, uh, recognizing that that isn't healthy for anyone. Yeah. In the end, we're all in process, uh, moving to become closer, uh, more and more like Christ. Yes, we are. That's good. That was a really good word, Nancy. I feel like we could just stop the interview. That was so good. We won't. won't. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so we're talking more about the process over product. What are some helpful tips for the youth worker listening for creative brainstorming? Um, And what should they do if they're just stuck in a creative rut, as a lot of churches in in general are? Well, I really believe in the power of group brainstorming. Um, Again, it's messy. It's a lot easier for one person to plan an experience or an event. That's obviously a lot easier. But what you miss and what your um, ultimate audience or whoever is missing when you do that is the power of more than one perspective and more than one voice. Um, Hopefully you have a diverse group of people who are coming together. And so when you, when you brainstorm, first of all, I, I love, there's a book called a whack on the side of the head and um, Roger Von Oak wrote this book and it's, it's a lot of, yeah, it's a lot about how in the early stages of brainstorming, what you are aiming for is a quantity of ideas, not looking at the quality just yet of those ideas, yeah. which means that no idea in that early phase is a bad idea. So our team sometimes to, to get that across to people, we'd have like Nerf balls or squirt guns or something at the table. And if someone started critiquing an idea or saying, we don't have enough time for that, we don't have enough money for that, we don't have enough talent for that, whatever, they would get attacked by Nerf balls or whatever. Because in the early that stages- you're yeah. looking for like a hundred ideas and you, and you, and you do not yeah. judge them at that point. Then I recommend like, depending on how long that took, like a bathroom break or something, you've got them all written up somewhere. And then mm-hmm. uh, you come back together. And then the second phase of brainstorming is the more realistic phase, hopefully not negative, but the, the one where you say, which of all these ideas, because obviously we can only do a few of them, which of all of them did people most resonate with? Like, were there any that captivated you most? Or what do you think we could build on? Is there one of these ideas? Because if you come up with an element, um, whether it be a spoken word idea, a video idea, music idea, if you've come up with something that is a potential moment where you say, you know, if we did our part and prepared this well, and then we count on the Holy Spirit to do his part, this could be a moment. And when I say Mm -hmm. moment, I mean, 
it could be it could be something really funny. Sometimes we think moments are only when we're deeply moved to tears or something, but it could be like hold your gut funny moment. It could be a moment that mm-hmm. stirs up a sense of injustice, um, kind of like anger at injustice, where you are inspiring people to rise up and get awakened. It could be a moment that is deeply touching because it taps into pain and uh, the comfort people need. But anyway, as you're brainstorming, you're looking for a potential um, element that you can build around. And if you find something, then you say, what would we need to what would we want to do to prepare people to build up to that? And even more importantly, how would we want to follow it? Um, How would we steward that moment and read, read the room is something I talk about a lot too, which is in the moment, people who are skilled enough to see what is God doing? Like, what is he up to? And even though you have a plan, you hold the plan loosely and you leave room for someone to say, you know, we just need to be quiet in this moment or, or I want to lead a prayer, or let's sing that song again, or let's not sing the song we were going to sing. And, you know, you give flexibility within the plan. I, I believe in, um, let me just say real quickly that I think there are some folks who think a plan is less spiritual than totally winging it. And uh, somehow like that, that counts more in spiritual realm. And I don't believe that. I believe the Holy Spirit can guide you two or three weeks ahead of something, every bit as much when, when you're as a group or as an individual listening and saying, okay, let me imagine how this could go and let me write and prepare and create. But then, so you have a plan. I like to call it planned spontaneity. So you have a plan, but then you leave wiggle room and you, and there's only certain people you entrust with this. You don't tell everybody on the team, Hey, at any given moment, you can come up and change the plan, but you have someone, a couple people who you do trust with that. And, and you are saying, God, we want to sense what you are up to here and, and be willing to make adjustments on the fly. If we feel that that's needed. That's good. And what would you say to someone who's stuck in a creative rut? Like, what do you do when you are just feeling uninspired? Yeah. You know, um, in youth ministry, as well as um, regular Sunday morning stuff or whatever, um, there is an amazing regularity, I always say, to to those experiences. Sometimes it's every seven days. And so th- the thought that you're not going to get in a rut is ridiculous. I mean, it's just a lot of output. And so we have to to counteract that with sort of an infilling. And I ask people, like, what what replenishes you creatively? Um, I think one of the things is to just fill yourself with great art. And um, by that, I mean any opportunity you have to read something that's really well written, to listen to to great music of all different kinds and genres, to watch stuff. This is the golden age of television when there's some of the best writing um, it, right at your fingertips, um, stuff that you could watch. And, 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 and you do not know what it's not a direct, okay, I'm going to watch something and then it's going to definitely give me an idea for next week. That That's not how it works. I think what you're doing is you're building the library of your mind. And I promise you, if you keep filling yourself aesthetically with beauty, um, you know, wandering around uh, an art museum once in a while or looking at great picture books or great photography. Or listening to fantastic podcasts. Yeah, yeah, that's another one. 
um, the more you fill up the library of your mind, um, you just never know what combinations and different things you're going to tap into in the future at some point that might uh, steal a little bit of an idea. I, and very few things are completely original, right? And so uh, I, I recommend that. I also recommend uh, knowing for replenishing, like, what is your personal pathway to God? Like, what are the things, mm-hmm. the practices that you need to do to refuel? And for me, a lot of that is creation. Um, I think that's connected to my, my love of beauty, but if I don't get out, like, like I'm looking out the window at this snow and it's freezing cold outside and everything in me doesn't want to go out there. But I also know that if I were to bundle up and take a walk, I would sense God's presence and I would see the beauty of what he's done. And so wherever you live, um, if, if you're into creation as I am, I would say, make sure you refuel yourself with that as well. That's really good. Yeah. So the next question is kind of talking like future, uh, worship services and so on and so forth. So, uh, I'll frame the question like this. Where do you see worship services in church? Uh, not necessarily student ministry, but just worship services in church. Where do you see them going in the next five to 10 years? So you've obviously experienced a lot, uh, you know, in all your years, and I'm not going to ask you how old you are, but we'll assume you're in your 30s. Oh, thank you. Um, so You'd you, be about half right. <laughs> <laughs> so you've experienced a lot and you've seen a lot. So uh, do you have any thoughts about like where church services are going to go uh, from the worship perspective over the next five to 10 years? Yeah, um, this is a bit of a dangerous question to ask me because I do have a point of view. Um, I I believe that we are in somewhat of a rut um, now in most of our worship mm-hmm. experiences. I think what happened, um, the evangelical church has a way of swinging pendulums. Okay. So mm-hmm. we do something like we say, it's all about evangelism. And then we go, no, it's not. It's all about discipleship or spiritual formation. And we swing way over there and we have a, we have mm-hmm. a hard time finding middle ground with, with anything. And I think that's happened in terms of Sunday morning experiences because there was a time not all churches, but several churches were experimenting with a wider use of the arts and unleashing a lot of the arts, but it wasn't as highly participatory um, in terms of the congregation. And um, I think over time, some folks came along and said, you know, that feels like a performance. That feels like a show. We don't want to do anything that feels like a show. And so everything like swing that pendulum, just got stripped everything down. is going to be where the congregation is involved. Meaning really what it stripped down to was music and occasionally a video. And we kind of lost a lot of other art forms. And also what I believe um, some moments where people could be moved and touched by other artists uh, up front. Um, I can be in a moment where I'm not necessarily um, participating in terms of like singing in, in my Mm -hmm. view. And so what my hope is, is that we'll have a little bit of a correction here because many, many churches, um, what I've seen in terms of the current formula, it's not everywhere, but you know, you walk in and there's three songs where we're going to stand at the top and, and sing. And then, um, there's going to be a host or someone come up and do some announcements maybe a prayer. Um, we might do one more song or not. There will be teaching. And then maybe there will be a song at the end. There might be a video in there somewhere. Um, and that is like every week and people come in right. and they're never surprised anymore. Um, they're, mm-hmm. they're not yeah, on the edge of their seat thinking, 
Oh, and, and here's the other problem with it. I call it limiting the tools in your toolbox. I just think we have to say, what tools do we have? Like, what has God given us in this church? Do we have a painter? Do we have a choreographer? Do we have a writer? Do we have a spoken word person? Do we have a photographer? You won't have everything, but like, what did God give us in terms of arts? Yeah. And occasionally, yeah. are we pulling from some of those tools? Um, or is it always the same tools every week? Because here's the deal. We know that people learn and grow um, from different tools. And so my husband, for example, is not a music guy. He's not a big singer. He'll stand up and cooperate and all that's of that. Right. And that's pretty common. It, it is that's pretty common pretty in church common. in general. And for men who's planning our experiences? It's music people who love music. It's mm -hmm. their primary pathway to God, of course. They love music, but it's not everybody's. And so some people are much more moved by story in any form, whether it be a testimony or a drama scene or a video story. They, they love words and story. Yeah, it's, it's funny that you should mention that because storytelling is way more universally accepted than congregation, quote unquote, congregational singing. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody loves stories inside a yes. church, outside a yes. church, but not everybody likes group exactly. singing. Exactly. <laughs> but yet that's the one medium that the church really like. We lean heavily on. Yeah, right. Totally. And I think there's a lot more we could be doing visually. And also experientially, like uh, certain kinds of exercises that people engage in together. Um, mm -hmm. An example would be uh, one time in church, we were talking about confession. And so we gave people the opportunity to write down some of the sins that they most wanted to confess, um, recent sins. And then there were like paper shredders all up and down the aisle. And we gave people a chance to, to visually see how God was going to forgive them and wipe the slate clean. Um, there That's are great. so many kinds of exercises we could come up with, but here's the deal. The, everything I'm describing is way harder <laughs> than let's pick mm -hmm. five songs and push, plug them in on planning center and, uh, pick a host and we're done. And, yeah, yeah, uh, right. it, it's way harder. And a lot of churches have given up because, um, to think through these other options, these other kinds of tools just feels like either it's going to be too expensive or we don't have the leaders or the uh, capable artists to do it. And what we miss is not only what the congregation could benefit from, but what we miss is inviting more artists to the process. Um, I was going to say, it's going to be a harder process because you have to go find those artists. Right. You're going to have to lean into other volunteers. But here's the win. Uh, I remember this woman who danced professionally in Chicago at one of the best dance companies in the world, really. It's called Hubbard Street Dance Company. She's a believer. And we asked her if she could choreograph a piece. Um, this is modern dance, mm -hmm. really great dance um, for Easter one year. And she had never been invited to use her dance in any kind of church kind of setting. And I remember that day she created an unbelievable piece and she performed in it as well. And, and, she was between services, um, her eyes were shining and she just looked at me like, I can't believe I get to do this. I can't believe I get to use this gift that I use in so many other settings and actually use it in a way that might move people and draw them towards God. And when you invite any artist to that, um, you know, that is a big part of the ministry we talked about earlier. It's, it's a big mm -hmm. part of ministry. And so there are people, I truly believe in every size church, in every youth group, there are hidden artists sitting there that you don't even know about who assume that there's no way they could play a part. And I, I believe that part of our job is to hunt them down, find them and invite them again, not every week, but periodically 
into the experience of creating these moments. That's a really good word, Nancy. Thanks for sharing. Um, so back about two years ago, I had just given birth to my daughter, Elliot, and I read your book, Gifted to Lead, The Art of Leading as a Woman. And so when we started this podcast, I said to Brent, we have to have Nancy Beach on the show. And I'm not going to lie. I don't think I've read that. Brent actually gave me the book, ironically. <laughs> so he was the one that put it in my hands. But I think we it would be a missed opportunity not to speak about um, women in ministry who are just creatives or just leading in any capacity. Um, can you just talk a little bit more about some of the challenges you may have had to overcome as a woman in ministry and maybe any other advice or wisdom for other female creatives out there? Well, when I was in high school, I um, had different ambitions. I never had the thought that I could use my abilities um, in the local church, like for a job. You know, I, I uh, at one point thought I wanted to be mm -hmm. a doctor, then I took chemistry and that was all over. I gave up on that. <laughs> and then um, I definitely, as I became more and more interested in the arts, I wanted to be a... Um, a producer of film and television. And so that's what my undergrad degree is. And that's kind of what I was pursuing. Part of the reason I never considered the local church was because the, as good as the church was that I grew up in, it wasn't a place where I saw women have any leadership role. And uh, so I didn't have a category for that. I, I never saw it. And uh, I, I believe that when God called me to ministry. And I use that term very carefully because I don't think that always happens. And I haven't had very many callings in my life at all, but I had a distinct one to not do the LA producer thing that I was thinking and to accept the opportunity to use my gifts full time in the local church. And I thought that was like a loser option. Um, I also had great concerns about being female. I stepped into a, a leadership team that was all male at the time and then eventually right. um, became the first female teaching pastor uh, in that church. And I know that everybody has different theological viewpoints on what's okay and not okay for women, but I think it's safe to say that every church, regardless of its theological position, can be doing better in terms of empowering and inviting women uh, to the table, to whatever tables are possible in, in your setting yes. for them. Yeah. And uh, I think the kingdom wins when both men and women are fully utilized and are, are flourishing, you know, in their gifts. Now, this was not without um, challenge, you know, for me. And so, sure. um, as I mentioned, I joined the management team. There were some people who left the church when I started teaching sometimes on Sunday morning. And, um, didn't agree with, with that decision. But um, probably the biggest challenge is to say, how can men and women work together in a way where they mutually respect one another, where they honor each other, where they actually love each other as brothers and sisters? Um, how can we do that without it becoming uh, sin and, and find the right guardrails with that? And I have great hope about this, even in the midst of this Me Too Church Too mess that we're all finding ourselves in. I have great hope because I tasted it on my own team for over 20 years. And the men and women on the arts team, the core of that group, no longer work together, haven't for over a decade, but we all still live in the Chicago area. And we get together regularly. If you look at my calendar, it would say like old buddies lunch. 
it's three men and uh, three men and three women. We have honored each other's marriages. We have uh, celebrated each other's kids' weddings. We have stood at the graveside and buried some of our parents, and we've done life together. And I believe that's the picture of what God originally intended of how men and women could be shoulder to shoulder. Um, and, and, and our fear keeps us from this, you know, because when we hear a story of, of moral failure, we want to run and hide. And this is another case mm-hmm. of pendulum swinging. And my big concern right now mm-hmm. in the church is that some people out of fear are going to say, see, that's what happens when men and women sit at the same leadership tables. So yeah. we just need to run back to our corners and um, never, you know, let's just have 20 more rules. And I personally believe the energy shouldn't be on creating more rules. I think it should be on spiritual formation and, you know, the development of our souls and accountability, true accountability and all of that, but not necessarily thinking that our rules will save us because I don't think they will. It's all about the heart. Um, so yeah, I have, I have great concern. I look at young women, I look at my two daughters in their twenties and honestly, there's a part of me that thinks, um, please don't ever work for a church. It's too hard. And, and, um, you know, and you're female and if you're going to really soar, you could probably do it better elsewhere. And there's another part of me that thinks, please don't give up on the local church and please get in there and uh, show up with your voice and with your gifts and with everything that God gave you to contribute because we need these young women. Right. Well, there's definitely a theme we've, we've interviewed, uh, several women on this podcast in its short time and in existence. And, uh, that question, uh, frequently gets asked and the answer is very similar mm. to yours that, uh, women, as they were coming into ministry, as they were growing up in church, didn't have the female, right. uh, leaders out in front to, to even know that there was a possibility for them. Oh, didn't even know that was a possible career path. That's right. And, you know, people like you, Lauren, and others, other young women, I, I say, you know, you don't know what eyes are watching you, both mm-hmm. little boys and little girls, you know, yep. they look at you and they say, oh, wow, mommy does this and it's in the church mm-hmm. and, and it's normal to them. And, and I think yeah. that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And we don't always see it on um, one time, a little girl, uh, her, she came up with her mom after I had preached a message at church and she had been drawing during the service and she drew a picture and it was of me with, you know, kind of longer hair behind a podium with a microphone. And I thought, wow, I could never have drawn a picture like that when I was a kid, you know, and I'm so glad that she has that picture. Yeah. Cool. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And we'd like to wrap up our time with you by doing a little bit of our lightning round where we shoot you a few questions, kind of rapid fire style. But uh, before we do that, we're going to hear a word from our podcast sponsors. HTDT would like to thank its sponsors, Student Ministry Creative Collective and Multi-Summit. Student Ministry Creative Collective empowers youth workers by offering quality creative content such as graphics, videos, series bumpers, and more for all of your student ministry design needs, saving you both time and money while maintaining excellence. For more information, check out their webpage at smcreativecollective.com. Multi-Summit is a gathering of folks who are doing student ministry in a multi-site context. If your church is doing or working towards multi-site ministry, you don't want to miss this event coming up in March 2019. Expert speakers will lead discussions on a variety of multi-site student ministry topics and offer best practices so you come away equipped for fruitful ministry, 
across multiple campuses. For more on Multisummit, check out multisummit.org. And while you're checking out those websites, if you've enjoyed this podcast so far, please give us a rating and review so we can continue to keep more great episodes coming. And spread the word to all your ministry friends. All right, and we're back. So, Nancy, are you ready for the yes, lightning Yes, I am. All right, well, question number one is, what is your go-to Starbucks order? I confess I'm not a coffee person, so I order the largest size black iced tea. That sounds excellent. Brett and I are not coffee drinkers that either. Works. Oh, wow. Well, that works. We're with you on that. All right, question number two. What binge-worthy show are you watching on Netflix or Prime? So many shows, so little time, right? Um, I, yeah, right, right. I, I um, am getting caught up. I had watched House of Cards early on and then I dropped it. So I'm getting mm-hmm. re-caught up on that one. I love The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Um, it's, I think on Netflix. Um, yeah, I, I liked the last Jack Ryan series. We just finished watching that. Yeah, I just yeah that, that was one. good. So I, I would have many more if I thought about it, but definitely those. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. Well, question number three is who is influencing you the most in ministry right now? I was a part of a two-year experience with Ruth Haley Barton called the Transforming Center Experience. She is an author and a Christian leader that I've known for for probably 30 years, but I'm really um, struck by her wisdom and many of her books have helped me a great deal. And she happens to live in the Chicago area. So we got together recently um, she, she has been a profound influence on me. I would also mention the writings. There's so many authors that I love, but, um, Richard Rohr, who's a Catholic priest in New Mexico, um, has written several books. One of them that, uh, for older people like me, that's been great is called falling upwards, which is really about your sort of mm-hmm. second season in life. And, uh, it's inspired me to pay attention to who I want to be in these uh, later years of my life. That's awesome. You're actually the second person to say Richard Moore. Mark That's good. good. Awesome. Hey, real quick with, uh, this isn't one of the lightning round questions, but I'm going to throw it in here as a bonus. Do you know your Enneagram? I absolutely do. I'm a a trained facilitator of the Enneagram. So I teach it all the time. I'm a three. Okay. Brent is also a three. I Richard Richard Very Rohr, cool. I think it was Richard Rohr, said that um, once you understand your type, if it's not somewhat humiliating, you probably haven't found the right type. And I'm, I'm almost, I, I almost yeah. have to choke it out when I say I'm a three because I'm so aware of my toxic side and and my sin pattern connected mm-hmm. to three, and I I see it all the time, and it's quite embarrassing. <laughs> Well, that was a bonus. So. Yeah, that was a good add-in. All right, final question, number four. What ministry advice would you give to your younger self? Well, a, a verse that has become sort of a guiding verse for me um, for a long time is Proverbs 4.23. Um, I love it because the first three words get your attention. It says, above all else. So it's got to be important. Mm-hmm. And then it says, guard your heart. Uh, one version says, for everything you do flows from it. Another one says, for it is the wellspring of life. And mm-hmm. I would tell my younger self that if you guard your heart, everything that that means, pay attention to your soul, um, pay attention to the voices in your head that are not constructive and not healthy and not helpful. Um, make sure that you surround yourself with people who can help you guard your heart, people who love you and are for you. Um, I would just reassure my younger self that if I, if I do that, it's going to be okay. And I can, 
make it to the end of the race and hear those words well done. It's really great. Well, thank you so much, Nancy. Can you tell people how they can connect with you on social media and learn more about um, what you're working on and what's coming up next for you? Oh, boy. I'm not very good with social media. Um, I do have a website, uh, Nancy Nancy LBeach.com. L is in Lincoln, Nancy LBeach.com. And uh, I am on Twitter, but I hardly ever tweet anything. So um, yeah, those would probably be best. Or on Facebook, I'm also Nancy L. Beach. Awesome. Yeah. And you can uh, go look at what books Nancy's written on her website. All two of them. Yes. I <laughs> well, Nancy, that wraps up our time with you. We just want to thank you so much for coming on our podcast. And uh, we've enjoyed hearing your story and certainly your journey. And you've given us a lot of uh, great words for our listeners to think about and apply. Thank you, so, Brent and Lauren. Again, thank you so Thanks much. for doing the good work you do. Well, that was uh, great having Nancy on the show, Lauren. Any closing thoughts? Yeah, I have been so excited to have Nancy on the show because I read her book and I think she is just awesome. But I especially liked when she used the phrase um, that we need to build the library of our mind and not fall into creative rut because I think a lot of churches, like the one I grew up in, the logo never changed for the whole 20 years I was there because they didn't put any value on that. So I think it's good when she talks about um, stepping out of your creative rut and just learning about things and just expanding your mind, building that library. And just as another woman on the podcast, it was encouraging to hear um, her journey and, you know, how she is encouraging women all around her. Yeah. So building the library of your mind. Now you have an excuse for watching more Netflix programs. Yeah, exactly what she meant. Yeah, that was a good episode. <laughs> good episode. Yeah. We've got many more great episodes in the works. Upcoming interviews include Joe Crabb, student ministry pastor and host of the Multi Multi podcast. Walt Mueller of the Center for Parent and Youth Understanding. Saddleback Middle School Pastor Katie Edwards and Chris Yortz, author of The Sacred Enneagram and Jonathan McKee of The Source for Youth Ministry. If you've enjoyed this podcast so far, please give us a rating and a review so we can continue to keep more great episodes coming. Yes, and if there's someone in your area who you'd like us to interview, reach out through our webpage and we'll try our best to get them on the show. And that webpage is www.htdt.org. That's HTDT, as in how they do that. Again, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Student Ministry Creative Collective. Make sure you check them out at smcreativecollective.com and Multisummit at multisummit.org. And special thanks to those who help put together each and every episode. Production Director Josh Laurie, Lead Creative Director Matt Cashman, Administrative Assistant Ali Batan, and a very special thanks to Garrett Atkinson of GDA Productions for providing all the music for the podcast. Until next time, this is Lauren Jubel and Brent Squires answering the age-old question, how'd they do that?